0: Years ago I heard that back in medieval Europe a weapon was invented which was so potent, so deadly, so dangerous that the Pope himself banned the use of it. That weapon? The crossbow. Now that I do a Catholic history podcast I felt I should investigate this claim. Did the Catholic Church actually ban the crossbow and more importantly why? I'm Scott Scholzy and in this episode of Catholic History Trek I'll attempt to answer these questions regarding the Catholic Church and the crossbow. The dogma lives loudly within you. But I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Make one thing, person, with you keep the glow to god you've embarked on a catholic history trek our trek begins with otho of laggery also known as otto or odo otho was born into a knightly family in the champagne region of northeast france and then studied at reims under saint bruno reims centuries later would become the home of the famous Due Reims Bible, while St. Bruno would later go on to establish the Carthusians, and Otho, he was made a canon and archdeacon of Reims. Around the year 1070, Otho retired to the Abbey at Cluny, which was at the height of the well-renowned Cluniac influence, which Kevin mentioned in our episode on the Cistercians. In the 1070s, Cluny was under the abbot St. Hugh, who sent Otho to Rome, when Pope Gregory VII asked for monks to assist in his attempts to reform the church. These reforms included combating simony, ceasing the practice of clergy who were taking wives and concubines, and the troubles caused by Geber of Ravenna, who had become anti-Pope Clement III. The Holy Roman Emperor and German King Henry IV was at odds with Pope Gregory VII over lay investiture, which is covered in our Catholic History Trek episode on Popes vs. Kings. And so Henry IV threw his political and military weight in with the anti-pope, and for a brief period, the emperor even had Otho imprisoned, since Otho was faithful to the legitimate pope. After Pope Gregory VII died, Victor III was elected as the next pope, but a little over one year after being named the successor to the chair of St. Peter, Victor III also died. Otho, who apparently had been handpicked by both Gregory and Victor as the man they wanted to be their successor, was elected, taking the name Pope Urban II. With Rome under control of the Emperor Henry IV and the anti-Pope Clement III, the election of Pope Urban II had taken place in the Italian town of Terracina. It would be 8 months after being elected until Pope Urban II, with the help of Norman troops, was finally able to enter Rome. But the Pope's time in Rome was short-lived, as anti-Pope Clement III was brought back to Rome, and so Pope Urban II spent the next three years in exile. Despite spending time in exile and conflicting with the Holy Roman Emperor, Pope Urban II spent his time away from Italy to stir up enthusiasm among thousands of nobles and knights for the purpose of calling the First Crusade... While the First Crusade is a topic for another episode, I will mention a couple aspects of the Crusade as they relate to our topic at hand. First was the plenary indulgence, which was granted to all who undertook the journey. And secondly, a truce of God was enacted. The truce of God was essentially a ceasefire among warring factions of Catholics within Europe. As the 1912 edition of the Catholic Encyclopedia described 11th century Europe, There was then an epidemic of private wars, which made Europe a battlefield bristling with fortified castles and overrun by armed bands who respected nothing, not even sanctuaries, clergy, or consecrated days. To attempt to bring peace, various councils in the 11th century established certain days, as days when battles were not to be waged and courts were to be suspended. Originally, this applied to Sunday as a sanctified day, And from that, Holy Week, Lent, and Advent were added. And finally, the truce of God was established, attempting to bring peace among the various warring factions of Christians, so they could instead focus on their common enemy occupying the Holy Land. The truce also gave a sense of security that if a noble went away on crusade, that he shouldn't have to fear his lands were being sacked by rivals while he was away. The Pope sent preachers throughout Europe to preach the crusade which was generally met with enthusiasm. It said the Pope himself addressed multitudes with the words, Let them turn their weapons, dripping with the blood of their brothers, against the enemy of the Christian faith. Basically, the Pope was calling on these armed bands to end their Christian on Christian violence and instead put their weapons to use, freeing the Holy Land. In 1096, besides initiating the First Crusade, Pope Urban II also banned the crossbow. It's said he banned it due to its brutality in war, but we'll dig a little deeper into the motives in a few moments. One interesting point to consider is, despite a supposed ban on the weapon, the crusaders brought crossbows with them on this first crusade. One reason we know this is Anna Komnina wrote about them in her work, Alexiad, which was a history of the life and reign of her father, the Byzantine Emperor, she provides us historical information regarding the First Crusade and mentions the crossbow used by the Crusaders from Europe, whom she calls Barbarians. As she wrote, The crossbow is a weapon to the Barbarians, absolutely unknown to the Greeks. By Greeks, she means the Byzantines, of whom she was one. She further describes the crossbow's ability to pierce heavy armor. In the shooting, the string exerts tremendous violence and force so that the missiles, wherever they strike, do not rebound. In fact, they transfix a shield, cut through heavy iron breastplate, and resume their flight onto the far side. So irresistible and violent is the discharge. Such is the crossbow, a truly diabolical machine. The unfortunate man who is struck by it dies without feeling the blow, however strong the impact, he knows nothing of it. For the next step in our trek, we need to skip ahead about 30 years. The death of Pope Honorius II in 1130. Was followed by a schism which rose between Pope Innocent II and Petrus Leonis, or Peter Leoni, who became an antipope under the name Anacletus II. Fortunately, the schism was over within a decade, largely resolved by the death of Leoni in 1138. In the following year, Pope Innocent II convoked the Second Lateran Council, held at the Lateran Basilica in April of 1139, The council focused mostly on correcting many of the same problems that Pope Gregory VII was attempting to fix half a century earlier, and it reiterated, in her many canons, reforms which had been established in previous councils, such as, depriving anyone of their office if it had been obtained by simony, depriving any ordained priests or deacons who had taken up concubines or had married, and condemning usury, prohibiting incest, and rendering void any ordinances enacted by the anti pope Peter Leone. Regarding our topic on crossbows, Canon 12 of the Second Lateran Council decreed the truce of God mentioned earlier was to be observed weekly from the sunset on Wednesday through sunrise on Monday morning, plus Advent through Epiphany and Quinquagesima to Easter. Regarding Quinquagesima, you can hear more about that on our episode of Fasting but essentially is a period before Lent. Canon 14 forbid jousting and tournaments, as the canon states, in which knights come together, often resulting in human deaths and posed danger to souls. And looking specifically at crossbows, Canon 29 states, we prohibit under anathema that murderous art of crossbowmen and archers, which is hateful to God to be employed against Christians and Catholics from now on. First in 1096 under Pope Urban II and again in 1139 in Canon 29 of the Second Lateran Council under Pope Innocent II, the church banned the crossbow. This leads us to a very important question of why would the popes ban the crossbow? To answer this, we'll first have to look at the history of the crossbow. Was the crossbow a new invention of the medieval era like the magnetic compass, heavy plow, or eyeglasses? In a word, no. The handheld crossbow seems to have originated in the far east around the 6th century BC. Archaeological discoveries in China have uncovered stocks and bronze triggers dating to this time period, although evidence of crossbows from antiquity have also been found in other parts of Asia and ancient Greece. One ancient Greek crossbow, the Gastraphides, was a 3rd century belly shooter, which had a curved feature to place against the archer's belly, making it easier to load the weapon. The crossbow also found use as a siege machine for the Greeks and other civilizations. The Greeks had versions known as the Ballista, the catapulticon, and the polybolos. Even the ancient Jews had arrow-firing siege engines. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, when the Lord directed King Uzziah in all things, the king restored and rebuilt Judah. In verse 15, we find this line. And he made in Jerusalem engines of diverse kinds, which he placed in the towers and in the corners of the walls to shoot arrows and great stones. So if the crossbow was over a thousand years old, why was it suddenly banned in Europe at the end of the 11th century and early 12th century? To find the answer for this, we need to consider that Pope Urban II banned its use, but yet it was used in his crusade to liberate the holy sites in the Holy Land, a crusade that took place at the same time it was banned, And when Pope Innocent II banned it in Canon 29 of the Second Lateran Council, the canon clearly stipulated that it was prohibited when employed against Christians. In both cases, we can deduce that the crossbow was perfectly fine to use against the Mohammedans or other infidels, but it was only banned when used in combat against other Christians in this Christian versus Christian fighting, which was rampant in Europe but kingdoms and provinces of Christians had been fighting against each other for centuries, armed with weapons like swords, spears, bow and arrows, lances, pikes, axes, and clubs. Yet, these weapons were not banned. So what was so unique about the crossbow that it incurred an anathema if utilized when fighting against fellow Christians? Consider today that, when it comes to petty disputes or skirmishes between towns, colleges, or countries, these rivalries are often enacted in the world of sports. India and Pakistan in cricket, Ohio State and Michigan in college football, Barcelona and Real Madrid in soccer, Red Sox-Yankees in baseball, Australia and New Zealand in rugby, the list goes on and on. In Columbus, Ohio, for example, they don't form an army of young men, equip them with swords and shields, and send them on their way invading Ann Arbor, Michigan. And while Ohio State may regularly kill Michigan on the football field, they aren't killing them in real life. Instead, the teams equip themselves in the armor of a football uniform, they have the pop and circumstances of marching bands, they celebrate their school traditions, fans don the school colors, and then they go to an unbloody battle on the football field. But this was not always the case. Returning to the Catholic Encyclopedia's summary of the 11th century era, Europe was a battlefield overrun by an epidemic of private wars and armed bands. Perfect illustration of this can be found in the 12th century. As we covered in our episode on the Franciscans, Assisi was engaged in one of these many petty squabbles with the town of Prusia, and the two sides would engage in bloody battles. Their men, including St. Francis, would don their fancy armor, mount a horse, and ride off into vainglorious battle. They would hack and slash at each other, and for the most part, They would survive. They may be captured or injured, and even maimed, but death was not assured, especially for the heavily armored knights and nobility, who were protected from all but the most well-placed thrust of a sword or a spear. Again, consider St. Francis. By all accounts, he was not a rough, battle-ready warrior, but an impetuous lad who jumped into battle, looking for the adventure and romance of the whole affair. And yet, even he survived unscathed. Captured? Yes. Dead? though. No. The lowly peasants, who could not afford heavy armor, were susceptible to fatal wounds, but this was not so much the case for the well-armed nobility. But the crossbow changed everything. It was the only weapon that could easily penetrate a knight's armor with a fatal strike. Mercenaries, conscripts, and bandits gained an upper hand in battle, as suddenly the armored nobility were at serious risk of death in battles against these arbalists or crossbowmen. It's one thing for St. Francis to go off and fight with the Prussians, bouncing their swords off his armor and shield, allowing him to return to the Tavern of Assisi and boast of his adventures. But St. Francis going off to fight an army of Prussians with crossbowmen meant he was likely to return home to the cemetery, not to the tavern. The widespread use of the crossbow in European wars of Christians against Christians meant many more Christians would be killed in these battles, especially the knights and the nobility, who, while imperfect, did provide a degree of peace and stability within their territories. The ban against the crossbow doesn't seem to be directed at some sort of intrinsic evil of the weapon or against technological advancement, as the crossbow is hardly a new invention, but rather, it seems to have been directed at reducing the loss of life in pointless battles. We see the same sentiment in the Second Lateran Council's ban on jousting tournaments. There was nothing sinful about jousting in and of itself, But it was the outcome of knights needlessly putting their lives and souls in peril simply for bragging rights and spectacle which was condemned. A couple centuries later, when the English developed the longbow into a formidable weapon of war, the longbow is not banned, even though by every standard, it was a more deadly weapon than the crossbow. The longbow could be fired at a rate of about 5 times faster, could hit targets from farther away, and it could penetrate armor deeper than the crossbow. Not to mention the longbow had fewer moving parts, and provided easier upkeep. It was used to much success by England in the Hundred Years' War against France in battles such as Crecy and Agincourt. But the crossbow had one drawback. It took many years to master the weapon, compared to a mere matter of days to effectively use the crossbow. One could not easily and rapidly equip a group of men to engage in a rash battle of pride or feuding with the longbow. Instead, it was a weapon of professional soldiers used in real wars. Going back to the original question at the onset of the episode, yes, the Catholic Church did ban the crossbow. Pope Urban II banned it in 1096, and the Second Lateran Council under Pope Innocent II again banned it in Canon 29. But it was not an absolute ban across the board. Rather, it was specifically focused on reducing the loss of life and loss of souls especially among the heavily armored knights and nobility, in meaningless battles and skirmishes which were frequently waged between various Christian cities, states, and kingdoms. Kevin and I end our episodes in a prayer set in the church's historic and traditional language of Latin, and we often pray the Gloria Patri, the Glory Be, but with this episode covering crossbows and battles, I thought it would be more interesting to end with a prayer dedicated to the angel most associated with spiritual battle. That would be Saint Michael. Be Saint Michael Archangele, Defende nos in praelio Contra et insidias diaboli, esto presidium, imperit illi Deus, suplices de percamor, tuque, princeps militiae celestis, Satana maliosque, spiritus malignos, qui ad predictionem animarum pervigator in mundo, divina virtute, in infernum de trude. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at Catholic History Trek at gmail.com.